0: Well, hello, everybody. I just got the thumbs up from Mark, our amazing Mark, our technology guru, and so we're ready to start, and unlike last week, we're going to start on time. So those of you who are online, I'm sorry about last week. We had some technical difficulties and started late, but uh, better late than never. I hope you hung in there with us Uh, anyway, so you're still... um, so you still were able to follow along. So welcome all. It's Tuesday. We're back together again. The room is full, those of you who are online. So that's good news. Yes? Oh, I think you hand out gold stars, uh, on such a beautiful day. All right. Gold stars for showing up on such a beautiful day. That's the that's the word. Um, who knows? Maybe some people are watching on their patio right now on their computer, right? Could do that. Oops, I didn't put an idea in your head. Um, So welcome. I'm glad that you're all here as we're moving through. You know, we're in study 30 already uh, of 36, right? So not many left before we close off our Romans class. Uh, Up front, I have some of the stuff we passed out last week. If you didn't get it, Uh, the AWICS guide is here, the secret of contentment sheets for our workshop that's coming here. And if you're missing session 30 and, and I had in your book, I have those copies here for you, too. So feel free to come on up and get that. Uh, So today, uh, we're going to get, again, super practical. We're in that section of Romans where uh, it's not just really nice theology anymore. It's not just nice doctrine anymore. It's not just head knowledge anymore. But now we're in the section like, okay, now that you know this, what are you going to do about it? And so today you can see we get to talk about how to grow a loving church. But it's really not about... What we're going to learn, I hope, is that growing a love in church starts with Y-O-U. So this lesson is really about you. It's about what are you going to do now that God has done all of this for you? How are you going to treat those brothers and sisters who are a part of the body? And how are you going to treat those others who are not yet part of the body? Future Christians, right? How are you going to treat them? And so that's really what this is all about. You know, uh, St. Paul is going to give us some very practical steps, some very practical challenges he's going to offer up to us about how we love one another, those of us who are easy to love who are in the body of Christ, and those of us who may not be so easy to love who are out there somewhere, right? So that's going to be our goal as we walk through things together uh, this evening. So again, I hope you're remembering to keep up with the pages in the back. Uh, as you're preparing the week ahead of time for the stuff that we're working through, uh, spending some time in your soap, remember soap, uh, thinking through the Word of God. The The goal is always you sort of put the work in the week ahead of time so that when we talk about the Scripture, it's not foreign, it's not new to you, it's not the first time you've heard it before. The Holy Spirit has already been working and prompting some questions in your mind, some thoughts, right? So uh, you're doing that work ahead of time. Then we get together and when we'll work through it, God's just going to add to the good work you've done to bring that understanding and knowledge in the word. So that's the goal anyway. So just a bit of encouragement to keep on plugging into uh, the things that you're plugging into with your homework on the week ahead of time. All right. All that being said, let's pray and offer some grace for those of you who have been doing your homework. Uh, but let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you again for gathering us together on Tuesday night to be in your word. Uh, We are so grateful for the book of Romans. And um, personally, God, I, I am just awed what you have done through this study. I'm just awed at the comments that people have shared with me about... New um, eyes are open to see things they hadn't seen before. New understandings that uh, that you've um, you know planted the, that word in our heart and and new way of living. Uh, a new boldness and courage to use their gifts to, to to apply the word of God to their lives to share the good news with family and friends. <clears throat> God, there's just so many cool things that I'm seeing you doing through your word in our study. So just so grateful and. And thankful for uh, being able to do it and to enjoy it uh, together. So, tonight, as we again get real practical, as we talk about what it looks like to be the body of Christ in the world, I uh, pray that you would bless us again with your spirit, that our words would be your words, and that you would use those words to grow us and, and use us here in the kingdom. So, to that end, pray you would bless us as you always do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my dear ones. Oh, there is an announcement I was supposed to uh, (coughs) share with you. We have a funeral on Saturday, and we just found out today that there is a lunch included in the funeral. And so we really need some lunch helpers, and we haven't had our chance yet to really ask for some help. So if you're willing to be a lunch helper, that would be Saturday. Um, The funeral is at 11, the lunch is at 12. Uh, Barb in the church office asked if you'd be willing just to give her a call. And she'll give you all the information that you need. Yep, Barb in the church office. So that would be wonderful if you guys could help in a kind of a last-minute pinch. Um, Kind of found out at the last minute there. So good. I made my announcement. Thanks for those of you who can serve. Uh, Lorraine Pocott is her name. This Saturday, whatever that is, tax day. Yeah, there you go. Well, oh, yeah, that's right, because it's in a weekend. Uh, Barb has the details. All I know is the funeral's at 11, and the lunch is at 12. That's all she told me. Yes? That's the Saturday after. The Saturday seminar is the Saturday after that, if that's what you're talking about. The secret of contentment and happiness and joy. Ooh, that's going to be a good one. All right, so, number one characteristic of a believer. If you had to answer that question, what's the number one characteristic of someone who believes and follows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I think it's Jesus said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if what? If you go to church more than just Christmas and Easter. (laughs) And wasn't it great seeing the church full on Easter, right? We celebrate that. But that's not the mark of a believer. How many times you go to church or how much money you put in the offering or how, many, how often you read your Bible or how many times you've actually done your homework for the Romans Bible study, right? Those are not the marks. What's the mark of a believer? What did Jesus say? Love. And not just any old love, not the love of chocolate ice cream, right? The love of one another. Another translation of this verse I like it says in the New Living Translation your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is where we're going to go today. This is how St. Paul is going to lead us as we dig into verses 9 through 21 of chapter 12 of Romans. Right? That that love isn't just a lovely concept. It isn't just an idea that God had that he thought would be pretty cool, that would fill us up and make us all warm and tingly inside. But love is the means by which the kingdom of God will be advanced. Love is the means by which the world will get to know Jesus, right? That's the key, love. And so as we unpack these words today and we talk about uh, how we grow a church, how we be the body of Christ, how we... Uh, work at being the, uh, uh, the light and the darkness of our world, we're going to find that the answer to this is love. Now, just in case you're one of those factual people, there was a survey uh, that was done, again, by Barna, and they surveyed 39 denominations. And they asked, what is the one most important key to church growth? So as they surveyed and as they looked at these different denominations, some denominations were growing. Some denominations were dying. They looked for certain characteristics that would overlap that, that led these congregations, these denominations that were growing. Now, can you imagine how many different factors there were? Tons of factors. Doctrine, denomination, local culture, right? All these sort of things. But do you know what the number one reason for growing churches, growing denominations was? Warm, what, love but an atmosphere of love among the membership. I'm going to be very clear with you today. I'm going to really, I've said it a couple times already, just love is not good enough. St. Paul is really clear about this in our section of Scripture today. That we And this is important for us to hear, that love is a verb. Do you know what that means? That love is an action. So it's not just love. But what made these congregations grow is this loving atmosphere that was created by how they cared for one another, how they talked to one another, how they worked together, how they forgave one another, how they served together, how God was working in their midst to accomplish great things in the kingdom. See, that atmosphere of love was the number one factor for why a church is growing or isn't growing. Now, St. Paul is like a duh-duh. He knew this before the survey was ever taken. St. Paul knew this was the key. And so in this passage of Scripture, Romans 12, 9 to 21 tonight, St. Paul does a beautiful thing. He divides this section of Scripture into two parts, and we're going to look at two parts. In fact, if you look at your study guide, you'll see the first page is part one. The second page is part two. The first half, he talks about how we are to love each other, how we're believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, Are to treat one another. Now, do you think it's important that we hear that? I mean, we're all good people in the church. We don't need to hear how we treat each other because in the church we always treat each other well, right? There's never any problems in the church, right? No, St. Paul knew better, didn't he? He knows we need to hear that there too, right? So he's gonna talk about how we're to love each other in the church and then he talks about how we love unbelievers, particularly the people who are opposing us or who are our enemies. How do we love a world that is increasingly hostile to the message of Jesus' love? He's going to give us some some, uh, four important points, ways to do that in that section there. So that's kind of how we're dividing up our study tonight. So my hope is that this will be not an—I don't want this to be a study about how we're going to grow Faith Lutheran Church. That's not the point. The point is I want this to be your personal manifesto. What I mean by that, these are the eight things he's going to give us on how we love each other in the church and the four things he gives us on how we love others outside of the church. If this could just be your marching orders, if this could be how you arrange your life, this this would be awesome. Words of St. Paul. And he gave us these first eight things that we'll look at together. Again, don't panic if you don't have a chance to write these all down. We're going to look at them each one at a time. Right? But for now, here's what he says. Here's how we love each other in the church. First, we're genuine with one another. We don't wear masks. We don't tell lies. We don't hide truth. We're not afraid to share good things and to challenge each other with our sins and brokenness. Two, we're careful of each other's needs. We understand that it's not all about me, but it's about others. Three, we're contagious with not virus, (laughs) contagious with love and enthusiasm We cannot contain ourselves from shouting, the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We can't help it, right? Four, we're positive, we're patient, and we're prayerful with one another. Five, we open our hearts to one another. Six, we never speak evil of another brother or sister. Seven, we're sympathetic to each other's feelings. And eight, we avoid pride and partiality. Looks like a good list, doesn't it? Right. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, I don't know how you put these Bible. Where do you get all this stuff for our studies? And I go, look, it's not me. <laughs> I'm just repeating what St. Paul said here in these words. These are his words. right? this isn't me. I didn't put these words together. You're going to see that each one of these eight points is almost a direct quote from St. Paul. Right? So this is God who gave us these great points and these ideas about how we're to treat one another and love each other in the church. This manifesto that he sets up for us. So let's work through these eight things one at a time. We're gonna start with the, how do we love each other and grow a loving church in the process? We are genuine with one another and we're not wearing masks. 12 verse nine, that's the beginning of our text, right? St. Paul said, love must be sincere. Another translation said, love is without hypocrisy. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Right? So you can, can you hear in this that, that love can be fake or love can be genuine? So let's unpack what that means. You know, the word for hypocrisy was used for Greek actors in the day. Greek actors who would wear a mask for their play. Then they would go and change that mask and put on another mask and come out for the play. Then they go back and change and put on a different mask. And the word for that, hiding behind a mask or taking a different character or being something that you're not, right? The word for that was a hypocrite, was an actor who wore these masks. Now, can you see how we get our word hypocrite from that? A hypocrite is someone who hides behind the truth, someone who acts like something or someone they're not right, someone who who hides behind a lie or a mask and is not genuine and real, a hypocrite. So, see, love, St. Paul said, must be sincere, must be without hypocrisy, it must be genuine. What he's saying is don't be phony with your love. You know, the great example, I think the greatest sinful act of phony hypocrisy hypocritical love was judas in the garden of gethsemane and how did he betray jesus with a kiss you want to talk about phony love you want to talk about hypocritical actions and attitudes right that that's that's exactly what how love can be misused how we can use love to actually get what we want man oh man don't get me started on how people in the world today Will use kindness or goodness or love or morality as they see it in order to get what they want. Not genuine at all, but hypocritical love, right? So Paul said it needs to be genuine. So why is it hard for us to genuinely love one another, not hide behind a mask or a phony love? Right? Here's some thoughts that I have. Sometimes we don't even realize we're mask. We you know what I mean by that? Sometimes we get so uh, caught up in the world. Sometimes we get so caught up in our understanding or other people's understandings around us that we don't even realize what we're doing. We don't realize what we're saying. We don't realize how we're treating one another. We don't realize the words that we say and um, uh, what people take from that, the meaning that they get from that. Do you know what I mean? A lot of times we're not hypocrites on purpose, but we're hypocrites by association with the world. Do you understand what I mean by that? Right? So, one of the reasons we don't love genuinely is because we live in a world that doesn't love genuinely. Do you get this? And so, it just seems normal to not love genuinely. Friends, it's not normal to not love realistically and genuinely. Do you understand? Right? That's not biblical love. That's not God's love for us. But you know how easy it is to get caught up in that, isn't it? Right? To not want to hurt someone's feelings. Because the loving thing to do is just let them do whatever they want. Right? Wrong. But see how easy it is to get caught up in that. The loving thing to do is not say something. Right? Wrong. But do you see how easy it is to get caught up in that? Now, we're going to talk about balance here in a little bit, but right now I'm trying to make the point. Sometimes we don't love genuinely because we don't even know we're wearing the mask. Follow me? All right, next. Sometimes we're afraid to love because it means exposing ourselves. Sometimes we don't want to love because we become vulnerable, right? We become vulnerable when we put ourselves out there, don't we? We become vulnerable to someone saying, I don't like you. I don't approve of you. I don't agree with you. I don't want to talk with you. I don't want to be your friend anymore. You know, I'm going to unfriend you. (laughs) I'm I'm afraid that by loving genuinely that I'm going to expose myself. And that's risky, isn't it? Which is my last point. It's risky to love, isn't it? All right. Isn't it risky to put yourself out there and to genuinely love? Because guess what? You might get hurt. You might be taken advantage of. Uh, you're sac- you might have to sacrifice something and get nothing back in return. But that's genuine love, isn't it? So first of all, it says St. Paul says, if we're going to love each other in the church, if we're going to grow a church, we've got to love one another genuinely, honestly, openly with one another. No fear. Then he said, again, uh, isn't it interesting, he didn't say just love must be sincere, but listen, he said, hate what is evil. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, my mother said, don't ever hate. (laughs) Don't hate. Hate is bad. Well, the Bible says differently. The Bible clearly teaches That there are things that we are to hate. And what did it say here? We are to hate evil. We are to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, I want you just to think about what this means. Because this is the great lie of the world today, of America today. The great lie today is that to love someone means you never say anything that might hurt their feelings to love someone means you never ever take a stand about what's right and what's wrong that is just a lie god is clear to love someone sometimes means you need to say hard things to them do you, you know what i mean to love someone means because look at why does love hate why does love hate evil and sin because evil hurts damages and destroys people and worse can even separate them from God's love. So friends, listen, sometimes the loving thing to do is to say something, even as, even as hard as it might be, as risky as it might be, as much as you might be putting yourself out there. Sometimes the loving thing to do is say, no, I don't agree with that, and I'm not going to do that, right? That's sometimes the loving thing to do. Imagine what what it would what would happen to the world if parents only gave their children what they wanted well just look at the world today right imagine what it would be like if a parent never disciplined their child right think of the danger think of how those children would grow up you know it's a, so sometimes the loving thing to do and god practices with us too doesn't he Sometimes the loving thing God does to us is he allows us to suffer for our sins and our mistakes, the consequences. And people will say, how could a loving God allow me to hurt or allow me to go through this? Well, because God loves you, he allows you to go through that so that you can be stronger and better. Because God loves you, he allowed you to suffer a little bit because he knew in the end you'd be much better off for it. Do you follow me, everyone? This is so, so important for us to understand today because it flies in the direct face of the philosophy of America, which says, which preaches tolerance. Right. Tolerance that in in, uh, bigotry is, you know, you can say anything you want, except what? Except the truth. (laughs) Except the truth. You know, so we just have to be really clear about that love sometimes means doing standing up for something taking a stand saying something now i want to be really clear right we can go to the other extreme too can't we we can go to the other extreme where where we're out there just preaching and and hammering people for law and sin and there's not a scrap of love in us that we can't go to that extreme either we need to avoid avoid both extremes and pray about finding the place where God wants us to be in the middle. And that place is going to be different for each and every one of you, I'm telling you. Sometimes your people in, in your life are going to call you to be more more taking a stand. And sometimes you're going to be called to be more loving and listening. You know, you've got to figure where that line is. But either extreme is bad. All right? Would you agree? So somewhere in the middle, we need to have practice genuine. Sincere love to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I want you to open up your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 6. Really easy to find Proverbs right after Psalms. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. So where, what do you think? Do you think God hates things? That almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? God is love. God doesn't hate. God is loving. God doesn't hate. Right? I want you to look at Proverbs 6, 16. Look at, really clearly read what it says. It says, there are six things the Lord, what? Hates. hates. Seven that are detestable to him. So, all right, what does this mean first? God hates. Does that mean God doesn't love? No, because what did we just say? Sometimes the loving thing to do is to hate evil. To hate evil is actually a loving thing, right? Do you see the logic? So these are not contradictory things. We're not saying that God is is contradicting himself. When God hates, it's because he loves. So six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And then he lists these seven things. What does the Lord hate? Haughty eyes, proud eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. So, do you think these are the only seven things that God detests, that God hates? No. God hates evil. God hates sin. And that doesn't mean he doesn't love. He loves, and because he loves, he hates these things. And that needs to be the same for us. The loving thing To do is to hate and detest these things. Am I making my point, everyone? All right? Are you feeling uncomfortable right now in this world in which we live? Because that's not what you're going to hear out in the world, is it? That's just a different message. I think the best defense against sin is to be shocked by it. But nothing shocks us anymore. Here's my theory America has lost its ability to blush. Do you know what I mean by that? It it doesn't seem like anything is embarrassing anymore. I'm shocked at the things people will stand up and proclaim boldly and loudly to the world that just a few years ago, we were like, no way would you ever talk about that. But we've lost right and wrong, good and bad. We've lost the idea of what God loves and what God detests and hates. We've just forgotten those things. Nothing shocks us anymore, right? Think about how TV has changed. The things that you would never see in evening TV, think how that has shifted. Think of that's changed. Isn't it amazing? Just this this shift about what's good and bad, right and wrong, allowable, not allowable, acceptable, unacceptable, even the ads, for sure. Yep. Wouldn't want to be Bud Light right now. But you see the point, you know, and again, I want to be careful. This is not about pointing fingers at others. This is looking at ourselves because I've got to guess that everybody in this room has done the same. We've just kind of gone along with the flow. We've just kind of said, I'm not going to make waves. I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. I'm not going to take a stand on this. And, and because of that, look where we are. Look where we are. This is where America is. We are just talking earlier. I think we're starting to see some signs, though, of how things are changing a little bit. You know, we're starting to see, I think, some hope. Uh, folks are some folks are starting to take a stand. We're starting to hear a message now that that's not okay. We're starting to see advertising that speaks a different message. So, you know, maybe... Lord, am I praying that we've kind of come to a place where the pendulum is swinging again? Let's hope, you know, that we won't be uh, ashamed to stand up in the future. Uh, Aristotle said this great thing. He said, tolerance and apathy are the last virtues of a dying society. How many years ago was that? (laughs) Right? So here's someone who took that statement and made it new. Hutton Gibson said tolerance is the last virtue of a depraved society. When an immoral society has blatantly and proudly violated all the commandments, it insists upon one last virtue, tolerance for its immorality. It will not tolerate condemnation of its perversions. It creates a whole new world in which only the intolerant critic of intolerable evil is evil. Isn't that an insightful statement of where we have come here in the United States of America? Isn't it? Isn't that something? So he builds off of this Aristotle statement and makes it very real for where we are. Uh, So, again, why am I pounding on this? Because it's so important that we hear the word of God here from Romans 12, right? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. See, this is what he does. He, he, he moves from the negative, uh, things that you should hate, and then he follows that with a positive and says, now cling to what is good. Don't just eliminate things, but uh, fill the spaces with good things. That's St. Paul's strategy. Don't just not do things, but do things that are right. Cling to what is good. So we ought to spend a whole lot more time doing good, so much good, that we don't have time to do bad. You know what I'm saying? That's the thing. Cling to what is good. Hate what is evil. So I'm going to we'll just gonna finish this one sentence. So the point of all of this, and then we can talk. And again, if you're filling out your outline, this is that little line under point one. The point is we must reject sin without rejecting people. And this is what it means to genuinely love To love people without loving sin. To love people without loving the behaviors or the attitudes. Get that? This is what I think is genuine love. All right, did I see you coming with a mic? Some thoughts or questions? So what about the comment, hate the sin, love the sinner? That comment right there? Is that... I just put that one up on the bottom. (laughs) You are a smart lady. I like the way you think. So I think that's legit. This is what we just heard St. Paul say. Hate the sin. Love the sinner. Reject the sin without rejecting the person. Without rejecting people. That's our goal. Other thoughts, questions? Arlo? thank you mark so how do you tell Closer. so how do you tell the person that you love him but you don't love what they're doing that is a beautiful question and there is no one answer to that question see this is the thing Every person is different. Every situation is different. Every relationship you have is different. So it's going to need different gloves for each of those situations. You know, you have to figure that out for that person, that one person. You have to pray about it. You have to ask God to open a door or a window, you know, and then be ready to go wherever he opens. And it's going to be different for all of us. Sometimes it's going to require just that because if you say something, it's going to be worse, Sometimes it means waiting for that crack and saying a little something. Sometimes it means an invitation to talk more. You know, it's just so different. There's not a right or wrong. But here's what I do know. I always take the easy way out. Right? And I bet most of us do. Right? Instead of, if I have to choose, ruffling feathers or just not rocking the boat, I'll choose not rocking the boat. And, and my guess is that's not where God wants me most of the time. I just got to wrestle with that. I got to pray about that. I got to pray that you'll show me the way to bring the good news, to plant those seeds so that God can do the work. Right? Be bold enough to speak, but not too bold that you push away. Good luck figuring that line, Right? Pastor Dan, I thought you began very well, and I want to remind people of body language. And if we're going to be sincere, and not everybody's good with a straight eye on, but it makes such a difference that if I am interested, but I'm kind of looking at, I'm going to say, who else is coming out of church, or what time is it, or whatever. But I want to get back to how you started about the body language and being sincere when you say somebody, how are you? Yeah, thank you. Good point. Thanks, Mark. It's not just what you say, is it? It's uh, it's how you say it. It's uh, it's complicated, everybody. It is not easy, you know. It is not, but it's still our calling. This is how we'll change. Uh, I think he's coming your way, and then we'll get you over here, Mark. Over there. Well, I just wanted to comment when I was reading Paul. Paul was very strong. Uh There were not suggestions. He was like almost marching orders for what we need to do. And then at the same time, when I look at the enemy, they want to kill babies. They want to put pornography in schools. They want to have drag queen shows in schools. How do we, I mean, at this point, they're not, some of those people don't want to listen to us. In their mind, they're their own God, and this is the way they want the world to be. And it's going to be a tough fight because I don't think we can even talk to them because they're not willing to listen to us. Yeah. So voting is important, who we elect. But here's the thing I I think is important to remember. You are not called to change the world. You're called to change one person. And if every one of us would be used by God to change one person, guess what that would do? That would change the world. So sometimes I'm afraid that what we do is we go, oh, look at everything. No one cares. No one listens. There's nothing I can do. I voted and it just got crushed. Nothing happened. And you just get down and depressed and you think that we're we're losing But we haven't lost. Remember, we're not called to change the world. We're called to change one person at a time. So who's the one person? Yeah, well, of course, you. That's where it starts. Yep, good point. But after you, who's the person that God's put in your circle? Who's the person that God's given you a voice to speak into, a life to love? You know, that's that's where it starts to make the change. It's your kids, it's your grandkids, it's your friends, you know, that's, that's where it starts. That's, and don't, don't ever underestimate the unique opportunities that God has given you to touch a life. Every single one of you has a chance to touch a life that I don't. You know what I mean? Or that the person next to you doesn't. So to me, that's the, that's the way we're going to make this big change what i do what i believe what i confess how i live and how i share that with one person makes sense yes i think too we have to remember to be patient when we pray and ask the holy spirit to help us it's not necessarily going to happen boom it's it takes, sometimes it takes years yeah. and you don't know just a seed, just some, just something that you do or a, just a comment or a hug or whatever. It, it can, it can change things Amen. and you just don't know it yet. Amen. And you may not know it until you're on the other side. Yep. Yep. I love it. Thank you. Anybody here on Good Friday noon when I preached about the three crosses, You know, the person on the right, that thief, how did he come to know Jesus? Right? I mean, it was, he he heard, he watched Jesus interact with the women on carrying the cross. He watched Jesus interact with the soldiers that were piercing his hands. He watched Jesus pray. And somehow, he made this great confession. Jesus, remember me when you get into your kingdom. That's powerful. It's our words. It's our actions, And we don't even know what, what they're doing. a seed. Never underestimate a little seed in God's hands. Ooh, it's exciting. What God can do with a spark. It's amazing. All right, I need to really move because it's 22. Oh. Be genuine. Number two, but that was an important one, everybody, because it's really timely for us in our world. All right, second, he said, be careful of each other's needs. Again, he said, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, You know, in in the Greek language, there's more than one word for love. So here, when he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, there's a really fascinating thing in the Greek that happens. This stuff gives me goosebumps. You know, so words in the Greek that mean love. Agape, we know that one, right? That's godly, biblical, unconditional, no strings attached, act of the will kind of love. That's the way God loves us. For God so agape the world, he gave his one and only son, so whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Agape love. Another one is story game love. And that's the love of a family. That's the love that a family has for one another. Uh, moms and dads with their children, a special kind of familial love. Right? Fileto is a friendship kind of love. Uh, you know, a brotherly love. Like, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? Philadelphia comes from the word phileo, which is a brotherly kind of friendship love. And then there's, of course, eros love, which is the sexual kind of love that we have. Well, here in this passage, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, we have a haptox logomena. You remember that? I taught you that word a while back. What is that? Do you remember? That's when a word appears only one time in the whole Bible. It's the only time this one word shows up. It's called a hapax legomena, and here, this word for being devoted, right in the in the in NIV English, is really this. Do you see the word there? It's storge, uh, No, it's filial storge. It's combined two words into one. This he's combined phileo love and storge love into one word, and it's only used once. We're not even sure how to define it. We're not sure how we're supposed to, the best here, be devoted to one another. is kind of this idea, the love that we have is a mix of a friendship, brotherly love with a family love of a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister. So the idea is that in the church, remember, this is all about how we treat one another in the church. We love each other as friends, but it's more than that. We love each other as friends, but we are also brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's a different kind of love than just phileo love. It's a different kind of love than just storge love. It's this philo-storge love. It's genius what St. Paul did there. So what is this kind of devoted brotherly love? What's it look like? To me, it's the ability to live close together with mutual respect. This is what we do in the church. Are we all alike? Do we all have the same wishes, wants, hopes, dreams, desires? Absolutely not. But yet we still live together, work together, serve together, love together in spite of our differences. Right? We see how those differences make us stronger, not weaker. So that's this idea of this brotherly love. We, we have this respect for one another, even though we differ from one another. And then he says, honor one another above yourselves. The Phillips translation of that, I like this, be willing to let other people have the credit. In the church, we have to be able to say, not my way, but your way, right? That's the thing, to let other people get the glory, let other people get the credit. When we do that, we're building each other up, like, all the time. So be careful of others' needs. Love each other as brothers and sisters with this brotherly, familiar love, and be willing to let other people have the credit. Third, he said, be contagious with enthusiasm. Do you think I like that verse at all? Yep. I do. 12-11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now you're going to get to learn maybe another new word. You ever heard this word before? Anomata, ana, anomata topia. Do you know what that is? One word that sounds like what it means. So, words like boing, gargle, clap, zap, pitter-patter, and zeo. Zeo is the word for uh, fervor here in the English. Zeo, and it means to boil over or to be hot, like if, if water would steam and boil over. So, say zeo, 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 kind of like water boiling over a pot. Anyway, it uses this word. To, to to get this word fervor, which means to boil or be hot. So literally what he's saying is keep your spiritual self boiling. Literally, that's the word here. To be super hot for God. This is what this word fervor means. To be super hot for God. To be on, a word we use, to be on fire for the Lord. Right? That comes from this word fervor. Spiritual fervor. To be excited about your faith. Do people that know you know that you're a Christian? Right? I mean, do they know that you're not just a Christian because you grew up that way? Or because somebody made you that way? Do they know you're a Christian because you are genuinely excited about that? Do they know you're a Christian because it changes the way you live? Do they know you're a Christian because you just can't stop talking about it? How blessed you are, what God has given you. How blessed you were at a worship service that you attended this Holy Week or Easter. How blessed you are for the purpose and meaning that God gives you in life. How thankful you are that you know when you die, it's not the end, but you'll spend eternity with God. And anybody that gets near you is going to hear about it. That's what it means to be super hot for God. To have spiritual fervor for the Lord. And that kind of excitement and enthusiasm, St. Paul says, is what builds and grows a church. Have you ever gone to a church where you walk in on a Sunday morning and you're thinking, where's the casket? Because this must be a funeral. <laughs> Have you ever been to a place like that? Right? See, that's not the fervor here. Now, um, there's a time and a place for intellectual pondering and, you know, thinking and a time for quiet. There's also a time for excitement for the Lord. We need to have a little of both. Amen? Yes. We German Lutherans have a lot to learn. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Not going to disagree with you. Please check out Revelation chapter 3. In case again you think that this doesn't really matter, that having enthusiasm and excitement and being excited about your church and your faith doesn't make a difference, that God doesn't really care. If, uh, Revelation chapter 3. You know, the beginning of Revelation, there are these churches that, that the Lord brings a prophecy for their sin, for the things that they've done incorrectly or wrong. Here, the church in Laodicea, what is their sin? Revelation three fourteen to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Here it comes. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. What was their sin? Did they do really awful, terrible things? They were lukewarm, right? Here's the uh, revised Taves version of this verse, right? Here's how I would translate it. God says, I can't stand lukewarmness. I'd rather have you be cold than lukewarm. The lukewarm Christian makes me nauseous, sick to my stomach. I don't think that's a real terrible translation of what we just read. God wants to spit out the one who is lukewarm. Why? Because it's just as dangerous to the Christian message and the Christian faith to be lukewarm than it is to be antagonistic. Hmm? What do you think about that? So St. Paul says, no, church needs to treat each other with contagious enthusiasm. So how do you find this enthusiasm? What did he say? Look at it. By serving the Lord. I thought, wow, that's something. You don't get this enthusiasm from serving people, but we get it from serving the Lord. See, so here's this vision. Paul's talking about the body of Christ, the believers. How do we get this enthusiasm? You would think he would say, serve each other, encourage each other. But he doesn't. He says, serve the Lord because he knows when we serve the Lord who are we also serving each other people right mother teresa had this great quote she said we do our work for jesus and we do our work with jesus that the second sentence isn't as important to me as that first sentence right this the point here is When we serve the Lord, we serve one another. When we serve the Lord with joy and enthusiasm, it pours out and spreads out onto every other person we know. It just like oozes out of us onto other people. When you're on fire for the Lord, other people can't help but get it. Do you understand? It's, uh, you have to worship, you have to share your faith from a full cup, a full cup of joy and enthusiasm. Can I tell you my favorite stupid joke? Maybe you've heard me tell it a million times. The guy who goes uh, to have lunch at the park on a beautiful day, so he packs himself a bologna sandwich and some potato chips and a soda. He's sitting on the park bench and he starts munching on his bologna sandwich. And these birds are up in the tree just watching, waiting for him to drop a piece. And he does, he drops a chunk of bologna on the ground. And the birds swoop down to get that piece of bologna. One bird gets there first, and grabs a hold of it before any bird could get it and gobbles it down. He's so proud of himself that he got that piece of bologna. He's singing up and chirping up a storm, and he doesn't see a cat sneaking up and pounces on him and kills him. The moral of the story is if you're full of bologna, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Silly story, I know. But you see... What you are full of is what comes out of your mouth. All right? Can I say that again? What you are full of is what comes out of your mouth. It's what shows up in your actions. It shows up on your face. It shows up on how you look at one another, how you treat one another. Right? How you, what you're full of. St. Paul says when we're full of Jesus, guess what comes out of our mouth? Jesus. That's just the way it works. All right. Four. He says, be positive, patient, and prayerful. He uses all three of these words. We're going to look at each word one at a time. Let's start off with positive. Right? He said, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Positive, joyful in hope. Why can Christians be positive? What did he say? Because we have hope. What's the thing that can never be taken away from us? Our hope our confidence in Jesus Christ. Do you remember when we spent about a million weeks in Romans chapter 8? Right. What did we learn about this beautiful chapter about why Christians can be the most confident people on the planet? Remember some of these things? We are under no condemnation. Remember one. There is no therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No guilt, no shame, no worries, no condemnation, because Jesus died for us. Amen? Right? We can be confident because we've been set free from the fear of death. We don't have to worry about death anymore. Death has lost its sting. Does that mean it's not going to hurt when we die? It might. But that's not the, what it means. It means that death doesn't scare us. Death has no power over us anymore. Uh, third, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Do you remember talking about that? The Holy Spirit lifts us up with groans. He he groans for you. God, the Holy Spirit, prays for you. Why can we be confident? The Holy Spirit is lifting you up in prayer. Not me, not the person next to you. God, the Holy Spirit. Holy cow. God is working everything out for a good outcome. Remember that passage, all things work for good to those that love God? No matter what junk, no matter what garbage I'm facing today, I know God's got this. And he's going to bring good out of it somehow. Why am I confident? Because God's got this, right? And if God is for us, who can be against us? I dare anything in this world to stand up to God. It will lose because God is God, right? Uh, He wants to provide for all of our needs. And the best of all, nothing Can I say it again? Nothing can separate us from God and his great love for us in Christ Jesus. Why are we confident believers? Why do we have confidence here in the body of Christ? Hello, we have a million reasons, right? So be positive. Then he says, be patient. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Remember Romans chapter 5 when we did that thing? This verse says, we also rejoice in our tribulation. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. In other words, what do we know? Why are we patient? Because we know the plan of God and the power of God is greater than any problem that we're going through right now. The plan of God and the power of God is eventually going to bring good out of no matter what. No matter what. And because of that, we can wait for this little plant to grow. And become the thing that God wants it to be. We can wait for this momentary and light tribulation. Do you remember he called it that? (laughs) The guy who's in prison, who had been beaten and left for dead several times, says these light and momentary tribulations are nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. Holy cow! Why are we confident people? Why are we patient? And then he says, be prayerful. Patient and prayerful. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Here's what I've learned. When I'm under pressure, it's very easy for me to get irritable. How do I know when I'm feeling pressure and stress in my life? I get real grouchy. I get real crabby. and I get really gripy. I start complaining about everything. So you know if I'm feeling it, if I'm complaining, that means I've got some junk in my life. Well, what's the antidote to pressure and stress? Do you know what it is? It's prayer. Prayer is God's gift to relieve pressure. Prayer is God's gift to get us to calm down. Prayer is God's gift to remind us that he's in control. Prayer is God's gift to just stop and breathe and let God be God. You with me? Right? Prayer is this gift uh, to love. So, look, if you're having a hard time loving someone, I dare you to pray for them because it's impossible to hate someone and pray for them at the same time. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can do it. See, prayer is God's way of alleviating stress and enabling us to love. Acts 760, uh, since I'm running so late, I'm just gonna tell you what it is. You remember the story? Uh, Paul is having Stephen stoned to death for being a Christian. You know, Stephen, uh, and he's being stoned to death. And what are his last words? The last word that Paul hears from the man that he commissioned to be... Paul is holding his clothes, Stephen's clothes, in his arms as he's being stoned to death. And Stephen looks up at Paul, and you know what he says? Father, please don't hold these sins against them. And then he closes his eyes in death. See, St. Paul knew how prayer chips away at hate. It chips away at hate. You know, when we pray, we can't hate. Stephen prays and couldn't hate. He prayed for forgiveness. He prayed for God to work in their lives through that. So summing all this little section up, these three things, what does it mean? Be joyful in hope. That means expect the best. When things are tough, be patient. And whatever happens, never, ever, ever stop praying. This is how we love each other in the body of Christ. You guys are getting your money's worth today, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Five, open your hearts to others, said St. Paul. He said, Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That hospitality word is interesting. Did you know there's a difference between entertaining and hospitality? I think in our world, we've just mashed those words together into one. They are two separate things, right? Here's what I mean. It, when you're entertained, you feel nice you have fun, but it's just that. It's just fun. When you experience hospitality, you feel at ease, and you feel like when you leave, you were ministered to. <laughs> when you leave, you felt like you were just loved on. When you leave, you felt like someone cared about you, someone Someone did something good for you, not because you earned it or deserved, it, just because. That's the gift of hospitality. And that's what he says. Open your hearts to others. It doesn't just mean invite people over to your house, but it means invite them over and love on them. Shower them with gifts of love. Words, things, opportunities. Food always works. Food always works. Food really works. You know? You you know, you show hospitality, but it's not the food. It's not the things. It's the love behind it. Do you see? So this is open your hearts to one another. Show and practice hospitality. Did you know the word share with God's people is one of these Greek words that we kind of know? Koinonia? That's kind of a popular Greek word. Koinonia? Eh? Maybe not. Koinonia means fellowship. Right? We, We translate it as fellowship, but literally it means to have a share of something. It means that you, you to have koinonia is to give someone a share of something that's yours. Whether it's fellowship, you know, friendship, whether it's a hospitality, uh, a meal or a gift or a time, whatever. It's this idea, when you open your hearts to one another in fellowship, right, it leads to hospitality. And what does that do? It grows the body of Christ. All right. Uh, my favorite Bible verse. James chapter 2, it says again where James says, What good is it do if you see someone who's hungry and you say to them, Wow, you really look hungry. I'll pray for you. Have a nice day. (laughs) What good is that? That's not hospitality. Hospitality says, Oh, I see that you're hungry. Can I help? What can I do? Can I give you my lunch? Can I take you to Burger King? What can I do? How can I help? Right? That's opening your hearts to one another. Again, now remember, what we're talking about in this section is the body of Christ, believers. We're not talking about going in the streets of Chicago to the homeless. You know, that might not be your calling. But that's not what this is about. This is how we treat each other in the body of Christ, with hospitality and openness and caring for each other's needs. Six, never speak evil of a brother or sister. He said this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Do Christians ever persecute other Christians? Nah. I saw this quote. I liked it. The Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. And what it meant by that is he went on to talk about this is that when we we love to say to people who are hurting, people who are struggling, people who are a little more carnal than we are, people who are struggling with some sins that, that we don't agree with, we like to say, well, those folks aren't worthy to be in the church. Those people aren't worthy to join us here, right? They're they are they're outside of the church. This is not what St. Paul is saying here. He's saying, bless those who persecute, bless and don't curse. The Phillips translation says, bless those who try to make your life miserable. That makes it a little more real, doesn't it? I bet a face just came to your mind, <laughs> right? Right, who's that person? Right? Whoever that face is, that's what God is God's telling you to bless that person. Now listen, the word bless literally means to speak well of. And I'm telling you, this goes against every fiber of our being, doesn't it? If we have someone that that we that makes our life miserable, we don't want to bless them and speak well of them. We want to do everything we can to tear them down. Don't we? Right? That's that's just sin. St. Paul said just the opposite. But I love how he, he says, you know, do what you can. You can't choose others' responses to you, but you can choose your response to them. I, I This is something I've worked so hard to help my daughters see and understand uh, as they grow up in this nutty world, you know, and especially as beautiful young women in this world, you know, that that you can't change other people. You can't um Change how another person acts or what they say or what they do. All you can do is you. right? You, how are you going to respond to them? No matter what mud, no matter what dirt, no matter what social media garbage they throw at you, right, how are you going to respond? St. Paul would say we respond with love in every case, right? We can't control other people, but we control how we respond. I love Booker T. Washington, this quote. I shall allow no man to belittle my soul by making me hate him. Isn't that powerful? right? If I hate someone, I've allowed someone else to belittle my soul. So we don't hate, we love. We're not going to be manipulated by another person's hate and by another person's sinful actions that move us into the same. No, we're going to be different. We are going to speak the truth uh, we're going to bless those who persecute, bless and do not curse. So never speak evil. Any fool can criticize. This is a Dan statement. But it takes a little more creativity to find something you can approve of and affirm. The easy thing to do is what? Criticize and belittle. The hard thing to do is find something good. Here's a great verse. 1 Corinthians 1.4. St. Paul is dealing with this church in Corinth. There are a bunch of yahoos. Bunch of troublemakers. They're just all over the place. And so here's this, he has every opportunity to belittle, to put down. But what does he do? He looks and he finds, well, here's one good thing I can say about you. (laughs) I thank my God because of you, not because of all the good you've done or your great faith, but I thank God because of the grace he's given you. Do you see the humor there? Come on. You don't see the humor there, right? He's like, listen, if there's one thing I know I can say that's good, God loves you and gave you grace. Find something good to say if we will just try, right? The easy thing is to be criticized. The hard thing is to be good and kind. Number seven, be sympathetic to each other's feelings. He said, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. How do we treat one another? How do we love one another? We do this. I love people who celebrate with me when I'm up and they sympathize with me when I'm down. It drives me crazy when I want to, I need to talk to someone about something in my life, whether it's a joy or whether it's a sorrow. And I say, and they'll say something like, yeah, you think you got it, dad? The other day, I had something happen. Makes what you're going through look like nothing. Don't you just feel like garbage when that happens? St. Paul says, don't do that. It's not about you. St. Paul says, sympathize with each other's feelings. Understand each other's feelings. Listen to one another, right? Pay attention to one another. I've said this before. Maybe you've heard me say it. The greatest gift that you can give to another person is the gift of attention. There's nothing more important than just looking someone in the eye and say, what you got? I want to know. What are you feeling? I want to hear it. What are you thinking? Because I would love to talk about it. Just attention is the greatest gift. Be sympathetic to each other's feelings. Jesus did that, didn't he? He was at both the weddings and the funerals. He was there when they were high. He was there when he was low. He was with people, and he sympathized with their feelings. This is, I think, the strength of this show called The Chosen. The greatest strength of the show is that Jesus is like, like the guy you want to hang out with. He is so understanding, and yet he's firm. He is so loving, and yet he speaks the truth. He is so busy. But he stops in the middle of a crowd to help a woman who has a bleeding issue for 14 years. you got to watch the show. That moment, I'm crying like a baby. You know, that, that Jesus is just, that's Jesus. And what are you and I called to be and do? The same, right? To love that way, to sympathize with people. So which of the two is harder for you? To be with people, to celebrate when they're up or to sympathize when they're down. I don't know. I think each of us are different that way. Some people really struggle when people are celebrating the good moments in life because we get envious, we get jealous. Someone says, I just got this great promotion. And the first thing you're thinking is, darn, how come I never get no stinking promotion? You're already making more money than me, and now you're making even more money? And so you're like, I'm not big enough. Some people struggle with celebrating other people's victories because they see it as a reflection on their non-victories. Other people struggle with people who are down because it just drags you down, right? And, then, and you don't have time for the person that's always moping or complaining or always is down the dumps. And it's harder for us to be sympathetic for that. So I don't know where you are, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. You know, just work on being sympathetic to each other's feelings. All right, number eight, the last piece. Avoid pride and partiality. St. Paul said, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't play favorites is what he means there, right? Treat everybody with respect. Don't think you're too good for some people in the church. Don't look down on someone because they didn't dress right. Don't look down on someone because they're not singing the songs right. Don't look down on someone because they don't smell right. Don't look down on someone because whatever. You know, it's really easy, isn't it, to look down on others instead of working to support and encourage each other in the church. In Christ, we're all one. Unity is a key to the church, and it's to be preserved at all costs of pride and partiality. Well, that didn't take us long, did it? All right, so, page two. two. Remember I said there were two parts to this, how we love each other in the church? Now Paul does a pivot. It's fun fun how he does this. In verse 9, he talks about be devoted to one another. You know this phrase, one another, is super important to St. Paul. He uses it 56 times in his letters. One another, one another, one another, one another. There's a whole ministry called one anothering. Have you heard of that before? One another. It's about how to live together and serve one another. But now in verse 17, he changes. Now it's not about one another in the church. Now he changes to, in verse 17, everybody. In verse 18, he talks about everyone. And in verse 20, he specifically talks about the enemy. So you see, now he pivots. Now we're talking about how we love in the church. Now we're talking about how we love outside of the church. Loving unbelievers is again to be a mark of the church a distinctive characteristic of what it means to be a believer is that we love our enemies you know that's not the philosophy of the world the love the the, the philosophy of the world is hate your enemies punish your enemies do everything you can to avoid your enemies jesus is just the opposite right we are to love our enemies So how is he going to do that? Here's the four things. He's going to encourage us to counteract our natural instincts. He's going to ask us to put ourselves in our enemy's shoes. He's going to say to leave revenge to God. And four, he's going to say the easiest way to get rid of an enemy is to turn him into a friend. (laughs) Again, we'll look at these one at a time, so don't yell at me right now for changing this. Number one, counteract your natural instincts. How did St. Paul say it? He said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. What's the natural instinct to pay back evil for evil? St. Paul says, don't pay back evil for evil. Right? That's not a game you're going to win. That's a game where you're going to lose. Our natural instinct is to strike back. No, says St. Paul. The first way we love unbelievers is, is to not repay evil for evil, not repay sin for sin, uh, but reply with love. Love says turn the other cheek. So step one in loving the unlovable is not to play their game, not to fight the way they fight, not to fight with evil and sin and hurt, but to fight with love and kindness and goodness. That's not natural. That's not easy. You're going to need God's Holy Spirit to help you do that thing, right? But guess what? That's what he wants to do. He'll be there to help you through that. Second, put yourselves in your enemy's shoes. Walk a mile in your neighbor's moccasins, as they say, right? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So put yourselves in in your neighbor's shoes. I think the secret to not wanting to get even is to put yourself in their shoes. Do you know what I mean by that? It really helps you not want to punish someone who's hurt you if you understand why they're doing what they do. And here's what I've discovered in life. Hurt people hurt people. So if you're being hurt by someone, dime to donut, dime to donuts. Is that how that phrase goes? Dollar to donuts, right? It used to be a dime. Now it's a dollar. Dollar to donuts, there's hurt in that person's life. My wife did this genius thing that she just taught my girls when they were little already. When they would go to school, you know, you always have your little backpacks that you put on. My wife used that analogy to always say when when someone is mean to you that they've got stuff in their backpack. You don't know what it is. You don't know what that hurt is. You don't know what that anger is. You don't know what happened to them that night at home. You don't know how their mother or father or sister or brother treated them. You don't know what's going on in their lives, but there's something in their backpack because that's why they're acting that way. Hurt people hurt people, right? And if you can just see that, when you start to think about that, when you start to say, what must it be like to walk in their shoes, right, then you're being careful, to do right in the eyes of everyone. And aren't you glad it said this, as far as it depends on you. See, here's the deal. Again, we said this earlier, you're not called to change someone. That's not your job. There are some people you will never be able to create peace with, because they are not gonna let you. So what does that mean you're supposed to do? Give up? Quit trying? To respond in anger and hate the way they respond to you? No, right? You just do what you can do. You love where you can love. You're kind and good where you can be kind and good all the time, no matter what. And if they change or not change, it doesn't matter. St. Paul said, as far as it depends on you, just do what you can and leave the rest to God. See, does that make sense? Hurt people hurt people. You're not going to be able to change that by um, thinking you can have the power to change it. You change it by just doing what you can and letting God change the heart. Make sense, y'all? Put yourselves in your enemy's shoes. Three is this great wisdom. Leave all revenge to God. He said, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it's written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink and not pour a glass of water in his face. <laughs> right? Give him something to drink. In doing this, you he will heap burning coals on his head. Why do we leave revenge to God? Because I think revenge is the most worthless emotion of all. Revenge gets us nowhere. Revenge does not help us one little bit. Revenge always makes things worse. It always leads to worse consequences. And it never furthers us on God's plan or purpose, ever. Because it's not our job to, to, to revenge. That's God's job, right? That's the second why. We need to leave room for God's wrath. Look at the promise of God. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, I don't have to worry about that bad person getting what's due him because I don't have to make it happen. God promised that it's going to happen. God's going to, God's going to repay. God's going to avenge. God knows how to judge a heart and who deserves what and who doesn't deserve what, right? So leave it to God, not you. So what about this statement? What? In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It almost sounds like that defeats the purpose. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to judge you, but in so doing, I'm going to make you pay anyway by heaping burning coals on your head. That's not what this means, right? Heaping burning coals, right? The idea is that if you continue to love, if you continue to do good, if you can continue to pile up one good deed after another, that sooner or later the person is going to feel shame or remorse or guilt and is going to want to change. Do you see? You're you're heaping up these burning coals of shame and guilt on them, not because you're trying to punish them, but you're doing it because you're a good, loving person, doing what God would do. And in so doing, God's using that to bring change. Make sense, y'all? Number four, turn an enemy into a friend. Sounds like a Disney song, doesn't it? Abraham Lincoln said, if I turn an enemy into a friend, have I also not destroyed my enemy? He's kind of right. St. Paul said it this way, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One of my favorite counseling techniques that I just use when people come in and want to talk and pray, and they have difficulties and challenges, and they're getting tired and fed up and beat up. I like to say, say it all the time. Listen, you just do what's good. You do what's right so that every morning you get up, you can look at yourself in the mirror and you can say, today is a terrible day. There's a lot of junk and garbage that are going on in my life. But guess what? I've done all I could to be kind, good, and loving. And you can look yourself in the mirror and feel good about yourself. You can look yourself in the mirror and thank God for this day and what he's going to accomplish in it. Do you see? Right? You just you need to just be able to say, I've done every good thing I can. And you just watch what God does when you pile up burning coals of love and goodness and kindness on another person. In their, as they're flinging dirt and mud and garbage, and you just come back with love and grace and kindness, it changes. God uses that to change things. Do you believe that? God uses that to change things. And so that's the promise here, how we treat others. We love them, and we try and turn enemies into friends. So finally, what does all this mean? I heard of a person who came late to church, and he asked one of the ushers, is the Bible study done? And the usher said, it's been taught, but it's not yet done. Is that genius? Right? So our Bible study tonight is done. But it's not done, is it? Right? It's not done yet. You know, you now know these things, but now comes the hard part. You got to go do it. It doesn't mean anything if you don't do it. Love each other in the body of Christ the way we talked about, the way St. Paul taught us. Love people outside the church, uh, difficult, hard people, unbelievers, your enemies. Love them the way we've been taught. And just hide and watch what God will do. So next week, it's God and the government. (laughs) And we're going to talk about what's our relationship with the government supposed to be like and look like. So that might be interesting, do you think? All right. Blessings, everybody. Sorry we ran a little bit long, uh, but we started late last week. I'm still on borrow time. God bless you all.